We have in the Southern Baptist Convention a group of preachers who call themselves moderates. And uh, I believe in moderation. I'm a moderate. I try to be a moderate. I try to exercise moderately. I try to eat moderately. I try to do those things with moderation that we're supposed to do in moderation. And so to that degree, I'm a moderate. And uh, I'm also a liberal. I try to give liberally. I try to preach a liberal dose of the old-fashioned gospel, give it away as liberally as I can. I think there's a sense in which we all ought to be liberal, for the Bible says the liberal soul should be made fat. If you mean by liberal a spirit of selflessness and giving, I'd like to be liberal on those things that a man ought to be liberal about. I'd like to be moderate about those things that a man ought to be moderate about. But I'm also a conservative about those things that a man ought to be conservative about. I believe one of the things that we ought to be distinctly conservative about is the Word of God, the death of Christ, and the great doctrines of the Bible. There's no room for moderation there. Moderate heat never boil water. Someone would ask me, how do you love your wife? And I said, well, moderately. I'm afraid I'd get in trouble. There's some things, dear friend, that we're not to be moderate about, and one of them is the Word of God. I was talking to one of these so-called moderates, and uh, we were talking about the Old Testament. He just didn't believe those stories in the Old Testament. And he said, very frankly, I just don't believe that God slaughtered the Amal- uh, God ordered the slaughter of the Amalekites in the Samuel uh, passages. I-, I just don't believe that. He said, that's not the God that I know. The God that I know is a God of love. And the God that I know is represented in the fifth chapter of Matthew. Now, you will remember that the fifth chapter of Matthew is that one very wonderful passage that speaks of the Beatitudes and all of these wonderful things. But I reminded this preacher of something else that's in the fifth chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. And it is here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And uh, this man was asked, which is worse? For an Amalekite to lose his physical life because of his sin, or for people to be cast eternally in a place called hell? Well, he adroitly changed the subject. But let me tell you, dear friend, that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is a God of judgment. I don't enjoy preaching about judgment. As a matter of fact, I had to fight with myself and make myself preach this sermon tonight. And I'll tell you the honest truth before God. I said in my study and tried to change this sermon tonight. As a matter of fact, I've got two or three other messages with me tonight ready to preach because I did not want to preach on the subject of hell. I don't enjoy preaching on hell. I don't like to think about hell. But I know that God has called me to preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I must stand before my Lord one day and give an account of my stewardship of the Word of God. I do not like to think of the idea of hell. So many today think lightly of hell. Hell has become 
the butt of so many jokes. It has become a byword. It breaks my heart to go to one of our football stadiums and hear our young people tell somebody else to go to hell as they chant, go to hell, Ole Miss, go to hell. And I think, oh, if you only knew what you were saying, if you only knew the horrors of hell, if you only knew the terrors of hell, how it breaks my heart to see people so lightly and so glibly talk of this place called hell. Of course, the devil is behind all of that, because if people do not believe in hell, they're not going to seek a savior. But people who believe in hell are going to seek a savior from hell. And so the devil doesn't want you to understand the truth about the Bible doctrine of hell. For the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, The God of this age hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. And so those of us who believe in hell, we're called fighting fundies fundamentalists, and they laugh at us, and they sneer at us, and they say that we're harsh. We say, they say that we're cruel because we preach on hell. Is a doctor cruel because he believes about cancer and warns people? Is, is uh, a traffic expert uh, cruel because he warns of excessive speed? Dr. Lee said, I'd rather be called cruel for being kind than to be called kind by being cruel. I want to tell you the cruelest thing that a liberal preacher can do is to lull his people to sleep and not warn them as to what the Bible has to say about the doctrine of hell. It may sound kind, but it is indeed cruel. And it makes no difference to me if all of the theologians and all of the scholars and all of the preachers and all of the scientists and all of the statesmen and all of the politicians and all of everybody else, all of the teachers, gave up their idea of hell and said there is no hell. It would not change the word of God one iota, for the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 25, the word of the Lord endureth forever. They laughed at men. They laughed at Noah when Noah warned of a flood. I imagine they had a symposium to discuss old crazy Noah building that ship out there on dry ground. And I can just hear one man say, well, if Noah did hear any message from God about a flood, I can assure you it wasn't literal water. Now, friend... Let me tell you something. God said what he meant, and God meant what he said. They laughed at Noah, but the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 22 that all in whose nostrils was the breath of life died, and all that was in the dry land died. They laughed at Lot. Lot's uh, sons-in-law uh, thought that he was crazy, and they sneered at him. The Bible says they mocked at him when Lot warned that God was going to destroy Sodom with fire and brimstone. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 and 25, then the, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Brimstone and fire, literal fire, literal brimstone, just as the Bible had warned that God would do. They laughed at Daniel and mocked at Daniel when Daniel said that uh, the Chaldeans were going, it, that uh, uh, the Chaldean or the Babylonian Empire was going to be destroyed and that Belshazzar would die. But the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, Chaldeans slain. What I'm trying to say is, people, that though we laugh and though we mock, we do not change the reality of hell. Now let me talk to you about the reality of hell. Why do I believe in the reality of hell? I want to tell you my common sense doesn't cause me to believe in it. Logic doesn't cause me to believe in it. Sentiment doesn't cause me to believe in it. But let me tell you why I believe in hell. Not that it is illogical, but 
I don't come to it on a logical basis. We must go to the Word of God. One of the reasons that I believe in hell is the Word of God declares it. The Word of God declares it. Now, friend, the Bible says in Mark chapter 9 and verse 43 and 44, Jesus re-emphasizing the same words that I read to you from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. I've been careful to read my first two references from the Bible about hell from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are over 162 texts in the New Testament that warn about hell. And over 70 of these come from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Over 70 times Jesus, the Lord of love, warned about hell. The, the doctrine of hell does not come from some ignorant, uneducated, backwoods rube, or for, from some uh, belligerent uh, monster who has no love. But Jesus, with tears coursing down his cheeks, Jesus, was, who was inexpressible love, declared that there was a hell. One reason that I, and there is a hell, one reason that I believe in hell, therefore, the Word of God declares it. Another reason that I believe in hell, the cross of Christ demonstrates it. Now, when you see Jesus dying in agony and blood upon that cross, when you see the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see the spit that was spit into his face, when you understand that the beard was snatched from his cheeks, when you understand that the rod lays the, laid those bruises upon his back and the whip uh, took the, the, and the scourge took the flesh from his bones, when you see that uh, crown of thorns, when you see those searing nails driven through his quivering palms, when you listen and feel the heartbeat, the despair, the agony of utter midnight, tell me that Jesus suffered all of that when there's no hell to save a man from. Now, I'll tell you any God that would let his son suffer that way when men do not need to be saved from hell is a God that I have no respect for. Oh, friend, I want to tell you that, that not only does the Word of God declare it, but the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates it. And I want to say, dear friend, that the holiness and the justice of God demands it, demands it. Do you have the idea that a man can live as some men live, as Hitler lived, as Edie Amin lived, as Hugh Hefner has lived, as Madeleine Murray O'Hare has lived? Do you think that a man can ruin uh, the uh, virtue of women? Do you believe that a man can sell dope? Do you believe that a man can rob widows and orphans? Do you believe that a man can live like the devil incarnate and then commit suicide and go out into all eternity and there be no difference between that man and another man who did not live correspondingly the same way? Do you believe there's no justice out there? Do you believe that, that a man just steps out of this life and into eternity and, and it's oblivion, it's all over, that there's not a judgment? All people say, well, people have their hell in this world. Well, friend, if you look around, many who are living for the devil are living heady, high-minded, and wild, and they're having a ball. It'll take another world to settle the score. You're going to find out that many of God's choicest of saints have suffered. And I'm telling you, dear friend, that the holiness of God and the justice of God demands, demands that there is a hell. Now, what, what is hell like? What does the Bible say concerning the horrors of hell? Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses will go from house to house and door to door, and they will tell you that there is no place called hell as we believe it. 
They believe that hell is cessation. They believe that hell is annihilation, that when a man dies without Christ, without God, without hope, that he's like a dog that dies, he's like a cow that dies, he's just simply annihilated. And, and so many believe the same thing. And I don't want to get in a name-calling thing here to tell you all of the cults and the isms, as Dr. Lee says, that ought to be wasms, that, that, uh, that do not believe in this place called hell. But I want to tell you, dear friend, that hell is a place of everlasting existence. Look in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. And by the way, you ought to keep these scriptures and jot them down so you will have uh, when you're going to need them, because you're going to need them. Look, the Bible says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, what we call death today would be welcome in that place called the second death. It goes on unending and never ends. Look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. They have no rest day nor night. Now, I, want to, I want to show you proof positive that, that uh, death does not bring annihilation, and that hell is not annihilation. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 12, if you will. Here in Luke chapter 12, our Lord is describing the degrees of punishment that there will be in hell. Look with me in verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, should be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Now, this scripture tells us that there are degrees of punishment for those who disobey God. When a man openly knows the will of God and refuses the will of God, when a man sits in an air-conditioned, upholstered, well-lighted auditorium like this, and here's the gospel preached, and he says no to Christ, that man is going to receive far more severe punishment in hell than the man who's never heard the gospel. That servant that knew his master's will and did things worthy of strife shall be beaten with many stripes. But I want to ask you a question. If we all die alike, if we're all annihilated, if we all rot, if we all decay, if there's no life after this life in a place called hell, then this scripture is absolutely, totally nonsensical. Hell is an unending living death called the second death. I want to say secondly that hell is a place of unsatisfied desires. In Luke, the 16th chapter, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who died and went to hell. Some people call that a parable, but I don't believe it's a parable. Jesus said there was a certain rich man. And Jesus, in that story, mentions Lazarus by name. And from all accounts, it is an historical event. Jesus, knowing all things, knew about a rich man who died and went to hell. And Jesus said that when this rich man found himself in the flames of hell, 
he offered this kind of a prayer in Luke chapter 16 and verse 24. He said, Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Years ago, I was called to the hospital to see Mrs. Moneyhan, uh, uh, Mrs. Cowart, rather. Miss Cowart was one of the sweet little ladies in the first church that I ever pastored. I was just a boy, and uh, I started pastoring when I was 19 years of age, and I had no experience visiting in the hospital. I'd never been around sick people. My parents had not been sick. Brothers and sisters had never been sick, and, and uh, I'd never had any sickness to speak of. And I went in the hospital to see this dear lady who had a ruptured appendix, and uh, the, it had caused a severe infection, and her body was burning with fever. But one thing that they said that Mrs. Coward could not have was water to drink. I didn't understand that. Maybe some of you doctors understand a little bit better, but she couldn't have any water to drink. I remember when I went in and, and laid my hand on her hand to pray for her. Her hand was so hot that it seemed as, as almost it would burn my hand. Of course, I know it wasn't that hot, but, but she just had a, a horrible fever raging through her body. And she said, Pastor, would you get me a drink of water, please? I said, oh, Miss Coward, I'd like to, but, but the doctor says you can't have any water. And she said, well, Pastor, just a sip of water. It broke my heart because she's one of the most godly little ladies I'd ever... I said, Miss Coward... If anybody gives you water, it'll have to be the doctor or the nurse. I, I can't give you any water. She said, but Pastor, she said, I'm burning. It's, it's so hot and I'm so thirsty. She said, Pastor, would you just, Pastor, would you just put a few drops of water on my tongue? And oh, I thought, surely that'd be all right. But I said, I, I better ask the nurse, Miss Coward. I, I don't want to do anything that'll hurt you. She said, Pastor, just take a towel and wet my lips. Please, Pastor. My heart broke. And I, I thought of people who will be in hell, crying, suffering, pleading for a drop of water to cool their tongue. You say, well, Jesus was using a metaphor. Jesus was using a figure of speech. If he was, dear friend, what was he trying to describe? What, what, what kind of suffering was the Lord Jesus trying to describe if it is a metaphor, if it is a figure of speech? I'm telling you, dear friend, that hell is a place of unsatisfied desires, and, and the dope addict will take his desires there, and the uh, fornicator will take his desires there, and the pervert will take his desires there. He will have those desires. Those desires will be intensified and unsatisfied. I'll tell you something else about hell. Hell is going to be a place of ungodly associates. Have you ever heard anybody laugh and joke and say, well, heaven for climate, but hell for company? That's what Mark Twain said. He thought that was funny. He'll have his company in hell. Hell is a place, yes. And there is a vast company in hell. Do you want to know who's going to be in hell? Look, if you will, again in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. See what the Word of God has to say about the company in hell, the ungodly associates in hell. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and I take the word abominable here to mean sexual perverts and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, and the word sorcerers here means drug pushers and addicts and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. People say, well, I just don't want to be a member of the church because they're hypocrites in the church. Yes, there's some hypocrites in the church. One of the twelve disciples was a hypocrite. 
But I tell you, I'd rather be in God's glorious church and spend a few years with some of the hypocrites than to die and go to hell and spend eternity with all of them. Friend, I want to tell you something now. I want to tell you something. Every hypocrite is going to end up in the lake of fire. I went through the Bible and tried to find out who the Bible says will be there. The devil will be there, and he won't be the Lord of hell. He'll suffer in hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. The Antichrist will be there. The false prophet will be there. The fearful will be there. The unbelieving will be there. Revelers shall be there. Adulterers shall be there. The abominable shall be there. Murderers shall be there. Whoremongers shall be there. Sorcerers shall be there. Idolaters shall be there. Extortioners will be there. The effeminate will be there. Liars will be there. Thieves will be there. Hypocrites will be there. Drunkards will be there. Covetous will be there. The blasphemers will be there. You say, well, that's a, that's a horrible, fearful list of people. That is true indeed. But if you look in Revelation chapter 21, 8, you see that the fearful and the unbelieving had the list. Now, you might think that being a, a whoremonger, a sorcerer is terrible, but I want to tell you, if you refuse Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're afraid tonight openly and publicly to confess him as your Lord, you're going to lead the list of those that are in hell. And hell is a place of ungodly associates. I want you to think of your teenage girl going to hell and staying in hell with all of these people, mister. If she doesn't get saved, you better learn to pray for your daughter. You better learn to pray for your neighbor. They are going to be in hell forever with these kind of people. I want to say something else about hell. Not only is hell a place of hellish and ungodly associations, hell is a place of absolute hopelessness. When a man goes to hell, he stays there forever. In the 16th chapter of Luke, uh, Jesus taught, don't turn to that right now, but Jesus taught, that there was a great gulf that is fixed between those who are in heaven and those that are in hell. And people cannot pass from hell to heaven. Neither can people pass from heaven to hell. It is a place of everlasting existence, and there is no hope ever to get out of hell. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, Jesus spoke of those who were going to hell, and Jesus said they shall go away into everlasting torment. Now, how long is everlasting? Everlasting torment. Now, we like to say that hope springs eternal in the human breast. The one great poet said, Above the doors of hell should be engraven these words, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Hell is a place, dear friend, that once you're there, you'll never get out of hell. If you don't want to go to hell, you don't have to go to hell. But if you die and go to hell, you will never, ever get out of hell. And the Bible says the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever. Hell is a place of burning, a place of burning. Now, Jesus, in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, spoke of where their worm dieth not and where the fire is not quenched. Pastor, do you believe there's fire in hell? Let me read to you some descriptions of hell taken from the Bible. The fire that is not quenched, unquenchable fire, a lake of fire, fire and brimstone, everlasting burnings, flames of fire, everlasting fire, inflaming fire, a furnace of fire, the devouring fire, eternal fire. These are not my words. These are biblical words. You say, well, I don't believe it's literal fire. I believe it's symbolic fire. I hope for your sake it is symbolic if you die and go to hell. Because I want to tell you that the symbol is always weaker than the reality. Which is more beautiful, the painting of a sunset or the sunset? The sunset, of course. The painting is but a symbol of a reality. And if it is but symbolic, if it is a figure of speech, if it is a metaphor, then, my dear friend, God chose the thing that causes the most intense suffering and pain that we know of. 
Have you ever burned your finger, just touched a hot stove and burned your finger? Felt that pain? I'm speaking to some who are in this building tonight who've gone through fire. I'm speaking to some who've had great portions of their body burned. I've been in the hospital to see those people couldn't be touched, couldn't be turned, to lie there and suffer, and no narcotic is enough to kill and deaden the pain. I'm telling you that whatever it is, God ransacked the lectionaries and the dictionaries of this world to choose a word that he called burning to illustrate what it's going to be like for those who refuse the Lord Jesus. For those who spurn the gospel of grace, for those who trample under their dirty feet the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the Bible calls it burning. You can laugh at this. You can say, I don't believe it. That is your privilege. But my dear friend, I'm giving to you tonight the Word of God. I don't like to think about it. Again, the Bible calls hell a place of outer darkness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How far from heaven the lost will be. In a place that the Bible calls outer darkness, how far from your mother you will be, son, your mother in heaven and you in hell. How far from your wife you will be, mister, when she goes to heaven and you go to hell. It is a place of outer darkness, everlasting separation. Again, as we think of the horrors of hell, I want to tell you that hell is going to be a place of memory. You're going to carry your memory with you. In the 16th chapter of Luke, that rich man who fared sumptuously, he had it all. But he died and went to hell. And he cried and asked for a drop of water to cool his tongue. And in Luke chapter 16, verse 25, Abraham said unto him, Son, remember that tells me, dear friend, that this man in hell had his memory of this life. And if you go to hell, you'll remember. You'll remember every sin you ever committed. You'll remember every gospel sermon you ever heard, every gospel invitation, every song. You'll remember this service. I pray God that God will give you a demonstration, an illustration of this service. And this very service tonight will burn in your consciousness through all eternity. You will remember the night that Adrian Rogers preached that sermon on hell. The night that Adrian Rogers tore his heart out. The night that I begged you not to go to hell. You will remember. Remember. Oh, hell is a place of memory. And you would give a thousand worlds like this one to have the opportunity that you have tonight to come down this aisle and give your heart to Jesus Christ. Now, let me just close the message tonight by talking to you about the not only the reality of hell and the sufferings of hell, but I want to talk to you about the refuge from hell. I want to talk to you about how to escape hell. It's not too late. We're still on mercy's side of the door. God doesn't want you to go to hell. Uh, the love of God will follow you right to the brink of hell and stand there with outstretched arms. And, and uh, with tears, the Lord Jesus will beg you not to go to hell. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should go to come to repentance. Uh, that, and, and God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. I believe that God has put five major roadblocks on the road to hell. And if you go to hell, you have to climb over these roadblocks. That God, I mean, did you know that people take more difficulty to go to hell than they do to go to heaven? That people fight and work to go to heaven, to go to hell? They actually struggle to go to hell. They have to climb over the roadblocks that God has built 
on the road to hell. The very first one is this book, God's Holy Word. If you go to hell, you'll have to climb over this book. You'll have to trample beneath your feet this book because God has his word here tonight to warn you not to go to hell. But not only that, the Holy Spirit is God's roadblock on the road to hell. God's Holy Spirit tonight, I know because I prayed, and I prayed that God would use me. God's Holy Spirit tonight is speaking to you, seeking you, and, and that, that still small voice that you hear within you is God's loving Spirit sent into your heart to say, come to Jesus, and you'll have to insult the Holy Spirit. You'll have to, to do despite to the Holy Spirit. You'll have to trample under your feet the Holy Spirit in order to get to hell. I'll tell you something else that God has put as a roadblock on the road to hell, and that is the prayers of God's people. I have prayed for you. I try not to preach a sermon that I don't soak in prayer. Our deacons pray for you. Doubtless you have a mother who prays for you, a father who prays for you, a brother who prays for you, a sister who prays for you, a neighbor who prays for you, somebody who's praying for you and saying, Oh, God, don't let them die and go to hell. But if you go to hell, you have to step over God's Word to get there. If you go to hell, you have to step over the wooings and the pleading of the Holy Spirit to get there. If you go to hell, you'll have to step over the prayers of those that love you and those who plead for you and get to get there. I'll tell you, if you go to hell, you have to step over the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is God's roadblock to hell. God put this church in this city. God wants this church to be here to warn men to flee from the wrath to come. But I'll tell you, most of all, dear friends, if you go to hell... You'll have to climb over the bloody cross of Jesus Christ to get there. God put his darling son upon the cross. And God let Jesus suffer and bleed and die in agony and blood. And I tell you, if you go to hell, it'll be because you trampled beneath your feet the cross of Christ. You climbed over God's mighty demonstration of his love for you. Years ago, I read a story. I may not have all of the details correct. I believe Gypsy Smith, the great evangelist, told the story. He said he was raised a gypsy boy. One day, the gypsies were traveling, going from one place to another, and uh, they tried to get their wagons across a little narrow bridge and, and crossing a stream. And somehow in crossing the stream, one of the horses reared, and, and uh, the horse was frightened, and the carriage and the wagons tipped over. And this gypsy boy's mother fell into the rushing torrent, the water of that stream. The gypsy boy was not a good swimmer, but he pulled his coat from off his back and jumped into the water and tried to get his mother. But she was frightened and she panicked and, and she fought him. And, and he, he tried to save her and she pulled him under and he wasn't a good swimmer. He said, Mother, be still. I want to help you. But she was in such a frenzy and such a panic that she kept fighting and kept fighting. Finally exhausted, the boy released the hole on his mother and she sank beneath of the, the swirling waters and was drowned. Later on at the funeral, that gypsy boy was there. And he looked down at the face of his now dead mother. And the hot tears coursed down his cheeks. And he said, Mother, oh, Mother, I tried to save you, but you wouldn't let me. Mother, I tried to save you, but you wouldn't let me. Mother, I tried to save you, but you wouldn't let me. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, as you drop into hell, will say, Oh, sinner, I tried to save you. I tried to save you. I died to save you. But you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As heads are bowed, I want to ask you,
if you died tonight. I mean, if this were your last night, if this were your last moment, do you know that you know that you'd go to heaven? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Does God's Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? You can be saved tonight. If you'll repent of your sin and receive Christ, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I promise you on the authority of the Word of God that Jesus Christ will save you tonight. I wonder tonight how many in this building can say, Brother Rogers, I know because I've received Christ as my Savior, because I've confessed Him before men, because God's Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm saved and praise His holy name because of God's grace. I'll not go to hell. I'm going to heaven. May I see your hand? You know it to be true. You know it to be true. Take your hand down. Others of you could not lift your hand. and I'm going to pray for you tonight that tonight before this service has come to a close, that you will have said an everlasting yes to the Lord Jesus. But some of you may think, well, Brother Roger, since I lifted my hand, and since I know that I'm not going to hell, uh, the message doesn't apply to me. Friend, that's where you're wrong. I believe if there's any people that need to hear the message on hell, it's the saved, the church, because we all have loved ones that are lost. One of these days, one of these days, that father, that mother, that brother, that sister, that neighbor is going to die and go to hell because you didn't love them, because you didn't pray for them, because you didn't warn them, because you didn't share Jesus with them. And oh, I'm praying right now that those of us who are saved, that God will give us a fresh burden, that God will give us a fresh insight unto the price that was paid, to the horrors of hell, to the glories of heaven. God will give us a burden for souls. Would you pray, O oh God, give me a burden for souls? Oh, I know that the suffering of hell is not the whole thing. The love of God motivates us. I know that. But what a great motivation it is to be a soul winner when we understand the horrors of hell and that we are to rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen one to tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Would you pray for your unsaved loved ones right now? Would you pray that God will make you a soul winner right now? And while you pray for your unsaved loved ones, and while you pray that God will make you a soul winner, would you pray for some who are sitting next to you in the service tonight who are lost? Pray for the person to your right. Pray for the person to your left. And say, dear God, if that man, that woman, that boy, that girl is not saved, oh God, oh God, save them tonight. Would you do it? Father, we pray now. In the name of Jesus, that many will say yes to Christ and be saved. Lord, bless in the invitation. In Jesus' name.